My name is Jay Pfeiffer. I'm with Pfeiffer Ranch in Bernie, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, it looks like most of our dry land cotton crop is done for. And of course, you can thank triple digit temperatures and no rain for that. We'll have more on the fate of the dryland cotton crop coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here in the Texas High Plains where a lot of wheat is grown, Many would agree that GMO technology is part of the future for wheat, but there's a lot to be resolved beyond just science before we get there. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Crop field days in the middle of a drought and excessive heat. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. Turf grass is really something that helps to cool down the yards in Texas. Please join me, John Begno, as we discuss increasing drought hardiness of turf grass during summer. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Triple-digit temperatures and the ongoing drought are putting an end to most of our dryland cotton acres here in Texas. Gerald Key runs the nation's largest cotton gin, Adobe Walls Gin in Spearman. You don't see very much good dryland cotton. There is some out there that's holding on, but the most part, most of the dryland's been disastered. It's been a pretty tough story for a dryland cotton farmer. And on those dryland fields that are left, Key doesn't expect much if they can hang on. But I don't anticipate much dryland yield at all unless we've got some of it. I mean, it'll hold on and it'll rain and we've still got time to make some bowls, but it's going to be probably poor to fair at best. The latest Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report shows 21% of our cotton crop rated good to excellent, 38% rated fair, and 42% rated poor to very poor. And while our Texas cotton crop is deteriorating, the cotton market is falling apart as well. USDA's crop production and supply and demand report yesterday showed a half million bale cut in U.S. cotton exports and an increase in new crop world ending stocks. Texas A&M cotton marketing specialist John Robinson says the report caused him to ask two questions. One is, is this plunge in ice futures back to the 90s, is that a reversion to normal? Are we back to there? Are we back to there for good? Or are we still operating in sort of a, you know, post-COVID supply chain disrupted inflationary whatever that recently had us trading at $1.20, 
just the possible resumption of a weather market and production uncertainty mixed with you know some speculative fuel, is that possibility still there to give us 10 or 15 cents of upside potential? That's, that's kind of what I'm left wondering. Unfortunately, Robinson says he doesn't have the answer to those questions, but the market responded to the report by taking a limit down drop. Long lines at Texas auction barns are making news all over the country. The drought is forcing more liquidation of cattle, sheep, and goat herds here in Texas, and those livestock are filling our local auction markets. Jody Fry is with producers and Cargyle in San Angelo. Oh, I look for bigger numbers. They're already coming for the for the folks that didn't take off this week. There's a lot of cattle moving. There will be next week. Uh, I've seen more hay moving today and uh, cottonseed cube feeders. Uh, seen one boy with a load of cottonseed. I don't know where he got it from, but I'm sure he had something to feed it to, and I bet they'll be ready for it. They usually sell about a thousand head of cattle a week, but Fry says it will be much larger this week. Oh, I think maybe twice that many. I suspect some of these bigger ranchers will get back to moving, but I, I think we'll double up uh, come come this time next week. Jody Fry with producers and Cargyle in San Angelo. GMO technology holds a lot of promise for Texas High Plains wheat growers, but James Hunt tells us there's a lot to be resolved before that becomes a reality. It made big headlines recently when the U.S. Food and Drug Administration determined that a GMO wheat product developed by an Argentinian company is safe for humans to eat. But while this development is perhaps a step forward for GMO wheat, don't expect to see food products made from it in your grocery store anytime soon, and we're not on the verge of commercial planting of GMO wheat in our country either. Steely Fischbacher of Texas Wheat Producers says before we would ever see commercialization of GMO wheat, the organization wants a set of principles to be met, including that GMO wheat would be profitable for farmers. One consideration there is farmers would probably lose the opportunity to save seed from one crop to plant for the next. Under this type of technology, that likely would not be an option for them. And so that's going to add additional cost to their system. If they can make that up in a more reliable genetics that, you know, performs better in a drought situation like we've seen, or if they just get a yield increase over the top, that can maybe pay for that additional investment. But that is number one. Is this going to be a profitable option? Fishbacher says Texas wheat producers would also want an international regulatory framework to be in place before GMO wheat goes forward. We export half of the wheat that we grow in the United States. So if this was commercially available and in our general supply of wheat, what does that mean for our customers? Are we going to lose customers? Will we change where our major markets are and make sure that that is in place before we just go down this road? And Fischbacher says there's also consumers to consider. We've seen this an organic versus conventional. You know, certain groups of consumers will want certain types of consumer products, and we want to ensure that they have that ability to make that choice. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Summertime is time for crop field days. Tom Nicoletti attended one of those recently in southeast Texas. A field day in southeast Texas recently attracted a crowd of 150, mostly farmers from the region. Brian Lavinka grows his crops over several counties. The East Bernard cotton, corn, soybean, and rice producer explains the importance of field days, such as the one put on by DeKalb Asgro Delta Pine. Well, it's important for me to attend this because I like to see the progress of some of the varieties that I'm actually not growing. I also like to see the performance of the varieties I am growing in a different location than where I grow. It's, it's always good to see how 
crops respond to different scenarios. And, and where we live here on the Gulf Coast can rain five miles away from me and head my way. And then by the time it gets to me, there's nothing. So I get to go into a different area that, that potentially has some different environmental conditions. And especially this year with the, with the drought we're in, some of these areas may have caught some rain. And like I said, it's just also good to see how other people use different farming practices, uh, maybe a little different than what I do, where I can look at their results and see if it's something that I want to implement on my own farm. How has the drought impacted you this year and now the excessive heat? Well, the drought is, it's a drought. Fortunately, on our farm, we can irrigate quite a few acres. We can irrigate about half of our corn, three quarters of our cotton. The dryland cotton, uh, which is the majority of what's around here, is actually held in quite well. Um, I'm actually very surprised. A lot of that's got to do with our farming practices, but a lot of it's also got to do with the varieties that we grow these days. Seed companies have done a tremendous job in breeding stuff that is very viable where we grow in our scenario. It shows on high-end years, it shows on normal years, and it, it's showing itself on a, on a year that's not so wonderful. Those comments from Brian Lavinka, an upper Texas Gulf Coast farmer. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Turf grass can cool down yards, but San Angelo horticulturalist John Begno says it can be a challenge to keep turf grass alive in these Texas summers. Well, we've been hearing a lot of things about even certain places in the United States that are outlawing the use of turf grass because they're not wanting any water to be utilized at all on turf grass. And, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's one way to do it. But here, if we have established turf grass already, there are things that we can do to greatly conserve water when it's 100 degrees or just a typical Texas summer. And the first thing is you want to mow high. And I'm talking really high. Uh, it's it's difficult to consider three or four inches high. It's not what the book says is really conducive to growing good grass. But when you have tall grass, you'll have deeper deeper roots, and that's important for the the searching for water that is down below. Let's say your weekly watering. When it's a hundred degrees and you water once a week about an inch, that water can be gone in a matter of three or four days gone down and evaporated and utilized by the roots. And if that's the case, then plants become really stressed. And when they have more leaf surface, they can cool themselves much better. But the worst thing you could do is scalp your yard or be mowing Bermuda or St. Augustine too short, inch and a half and two inches. And you'll say, well, they do it in golf courses, and you're correct. But that's an artificial situation where it's high uh, fertility, frequent mowing, frequent irrigation, syringing, or cooling down during the day. So it's a little different than what you and I do on the yard. So you'd like to water, and when you water as much as an inch and a half in the drier parts and in sandy soil, maybe even twice a week, just so you can get the water down to the roots and train those roots to go deep. So you almost wait till it wilts before you water again, which is not hard to see when it's 100 degrees, but that encourages deeper roots, uh, or three times of irrigation during one week encourages shallow roots. This is John Bagno reporting for Texas Ag Today from San Angelo. The drought is taking a toll on white-tailed deer populations in Texas, but there are some things that may draw bucks to one property over another. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And the ongoing drought can affect your deworming program for your beef cattle herd. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Take the path less traveled and learn about the diversity of agriculture in the Lone Star State. It's a little education and a whole lot of fun. Texas farmers and ranchers between the ages of 18 and 35 can join the Texas Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Rancher Fall Tour, September 9th through the 11th in Amarillo, Texas. Learn about the diversity of Texas agriculture in the Amarillo area. Develop a network with other young producers across the state. Fellowship with one another and make new friends. Registration is open now. Visit TexasFarmBureau.org to register. The Texas Farm Bureau Young Farmers and Ranchers Fall Tour. The registration deadline is August 4th. Reserve your spot today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The ongoing Texas drought can affect the deworming program for beef cattle herds. Dr. Bob Judd says the drought makes parasite infections even worse. Drought has the ability to make any kind of parasite infection more severe because it puts additional stress on the animal. Dr. David Sherbrown from Bowringer Ingelheim indicates at Drovers.com that cattle may already be stressed due to the lower volume and quality of forage available during a drought. So any kind of parasite infection is exacerbated by these conditions. Decreased nutrition can lead to a weakened immune system, reducing the level of natural protection the animal has in place. Then once the animal is infected, the immune system is further impacted, decreasing the animal's ability to fight off other diseases. And you may think that parasites would also suffer during the drought, but this is not the case as parasite larvae survival in manure actually increases. In a drought, the cattle are also eating closer to the ground, making them more apt to pick up larvae than if the grass is tall. The first step in controlling parasites is to consult with your veterinarian as they are familiar with your operation. Limit overgrazing, maintain appropriate forage heights if possible, and rotating pastures are all management methods to reduce parasite loads. Parasites in cattle and other animals are becoming resistant to many dewormers, and there are no new dewormers being developed. Because of this, many veterinarians recommend using two different classes of deworming medication at the same time. The two main classes of dewormers are benzimidazoles and microcylic lactones, and using one of each is becoming commonplace. Lastly, have your veterinarian check your cattle with a fecal egg count to make sure your deworming program is effective. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The drought is affecting white-tailed deer populations here in Texas. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. On our last show, we told you that this hot and dry weather is taking a toll on white-tailed deer and their habitat, impacting antler growth, body weights, and the fawn crop. In 2021, there were an estimated 5.4 million deer in Texas. That number is expected to be lower this year, but there will likely still be plenty of opportunities for deer hunters to bag a deer when the season opens in November. Alan Kane, Whitetail Deer Program Leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says even in areas with large deer populations, the quality and quantity of native habitat that is available to attract and hold deer will have an influence on the number of deer you're seeing this season. If you've got a place, you're hunting on a place that's got marginal habitat or the densities are relatively low, deer may move a little bit further to find better quality habitat or a place that has feeders that are active year-round 
around or something like that. And so it may pull some deer away from where you're hunting. But those places like that that have marginal habitat or poor habitat, we're always going to be tough hunting conditions. It's not like you can change that significantly just feeding alone. Habitat management is important. And sometimes I'll tell landers, hey, you want to make your place like the Rich Carlton for deer. You want something that's going to attract them and hold them there more often than they would be on your neighbors or somewhere else down the road. And so if you're in a place that you can do that, that's going to help improve your opportunity for harvest success or at least seeing deer this fall. The Edwards Plateau in south central Texas has the highest deer population in the state. The Cross Timbers region in north Texas has the second highest deer population. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's been a good week so far for the cattle market, but the cotton market just continues to drop lower. We'll take a look at all of Wednesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Attention farmers and ranchers ages 18 to 35. Texas Farm Bureau has an amazing opportunity to highlight individual achievements, discuss complex agricultural issues, share your Texas Ag story, and be rewarded. Full-time producers can apply for the Outstanding Young Farmer and Rancher Contest for a chance to win a $60,000 prize package. Part-time producers and those individuals involved in other ag industries can participate in the Excellence in Agriculture Contest for a chance to win a $15,000 prize package. Actively contributing and growing in agriculture and the Texas Farm Bureau has its benefits, like cash prizes and recognition for a job well done. For more details and an application, visit texasfarmbureau.org. Applications are due August 4th. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It's been a good week so far for the cattle complex, both live and feeder cattle futures, managing to make good gains this week. August live cattle up 20 cents on Wednesday to close at 136.87. October was unchanged at 141.27. December live cattle up 45 at 147.65. The real star in the cattle complex this week has been feeder cattle. We managed to move above 180 on most of our contracts. August feeders up a dollar 22 on Wednesday to close at 18080. September feeder cattle up a dollar 55 at 18307, while October is up a dollar 55 at 185 even. Cash-fed cattle market still fairly quiet for the week. We have seen some sales here in Texas at 137. That's fully steady with last week's market. Up north, we saw bids of 150 being passed on in Nebraska. There's dressed offers up north of 230 as well. The online fed cattle auction sold on Wednesday, but only sold one lot of cattle at 140. Boxed beef prices lower on Wednesday. Choice down seven cents, two sixty-eight forty-four. Select down thirty-seven at two forty-one eighty. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear cattle in the alleyway, that means they had a good sale at Three Rivers Live Oak Livestock. Riley Road sold till at least ten thirty. Riley, how did it go? 
ended up with 1,829 head. Packer cows, they were off a little bit, oh, three to five cheaper, I guess. But the calves in the early sold higher. Most of them four to six, some of them ten higher than uh, what it was uh, before the fourth. A uh, handful of pairs brought from 825 to 1275. Red cows from 675 to 1075. Uh, Packer cows, like I said, a little bit cheaper than a couple weeks ago. 78 to 86 on your high yielding cows, 74 to 82 on your breakers, 36 to 58 on your canners. High yielding bulls, 98 to dollar four. Low to medium yielding bulls, 78 to 98. The two to three weight choice steers, 174 to 198. Heifer mates, 148 to 170. Three to four weight choice steers, 178 to 194. Heifer mates, 150 to 168. Four to five weight choice steers, 172 to 196. Heifer mates, 148 to 164. Five to six weight choice steers, 162 to 184. Heifer mates, 140 to 158. Six to seven weight choice steers, 148 to 166. Heifer mates, 130 to 146. Uh, seven to eight weight cattle, the choice steers, 128 to 146. And the heifer mates, 122 to 138. So pleased with it. Uh, you know, um, with all the dry weather and all the volume around, I was pleased to see that the calf market is holding together. And uh, we kind of thought the cows might be off a little bit, as many of those that are showing up up the country. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you in Three Rivers for next Monday sale, Riley. 361-813-6650 is the cell. 361-786-2553 is the office. The webpage, liveoaklifestock.com. Neighbor looks to me like that's it for this edition of Walking the Pins. I'm Larry Marble. We do this for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network every day, and we love it so much. I'll be darned if we're not going to do it tomorrow. And we hope to see you here at Granny Marble's Kitchen Table. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs finished higher on Wednesday. July hogs up 90 cents, 114.50. August hogs up $1.50 at 110.50. Class 3 milk was slightly lower. July milk down 4 cents, 22.62 a hundredweight. August milk dropped 25 cents to close at 21.01 a hundred. The losses just continue in the cotton market. It seems like we cannot hit a bottom. Fears of Chinese cancellations of new crop purchases in the market. Of course, all the COVID-19 lockdowns are pushing those fears. We closed with another 303-point loss on the October contract. It finished at 95.41 on Wednesday. December cotton dropped 313 points to close at 87.71 cents. The corn market did manage to bounce back a bit after the big losses we saw on Tuesday, but there's still a lot of fears over higher interest rates and a possible recession keeping a lid on any gains. July corn was up seven and a quarter, seven forty a bushel. September corn up six at six dollars even, while December corn was up eight and three quarters, five ninety-five and a quarter. The wheat market extended Tuesday's losses. We dropped even more on Wednesday. July Kansas City wheat down five and a half, eight sixty-seven and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down three and a quarter at seven ninety-eight and a quarter. In the energy markets, August natural gas up 46 cents, 662. August crude oil up 43 cents at 96.27 a barrel. The financial markets lower Wednesday afternoon. The Dow down 173 points, 30,807. The Nasdaq down 8 at 11,255. The S&P down 11. 3,806. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. 
For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.